Welcome to the Do Divorce Right podcast. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and I'm here to help you transition through your divorce with ease and integrity to not only survive the challenges of your divorce, but to thrive as you come out the other side of it with a much better life than you ever hoped possible. On this show, we talk about many different aspects of divorce, interview women who have their own incredible divorce stories, or those who can offer some great advice as you go through yours. The focus here is to help you find the strength and support to help you feel lighter, happier, more positive, and in a better frame of mind to face the inevitable challenges of your current journey. So today's episode is a little bit different. We're used to hearing from women who are telling us about their either their inspiring divorce story or um, advice on how to survive from experts in the area. We've had family lawyers, we've had um, conflict resolution experts. So today, something very, very different. We're having our first male guest on the podcast. Now, Daniel, I'm not going to share too much about who you are. We're going to keep that a little bit of a secret. But you were introduced to me by a colleague, a, a mutual friend, sorry, who happens to be a colleague of yours. And she said that you have a really interesting perspective on what a positive divorce can look like. And I'd love to hear a little bit. I'd love for you to share with our listeners if you're if you're okay with that. Tell us a little bit about your story of marriage and separation. Yeah, you know, I think that this episode might not be the um, do divorce right, but it can be um, <laughs> someone trying to be relatable about making most of the the, the common mistakes people make, and um, you know surviving it all at the same time. But um, uh, yeah, I don't know where 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 do I start? I guess. Um, well, I, I understand that the end of the marriage was not necessarily your choice, and I think that's quite interesting. So maybe we could start there. Where did you see the marriage unraveling? How did it end, rather than how did it begin? Um, I kind of just noticed my my partner had checked out emotionally, right? And um, I don't know. I guess I could kind of see the writing on the wall, and um, I was thinking about some of this this morning, and and remembered that one of my children would tell us off for arguing. And, yeah. um, you know, I think one of the themes that I'll, I'll come back throughout this conversation is, you know, putting having having children involved that needing to put their needs and emotional well-being first, that it, um, y- you know, it kind of makes a lot of the decisions quite easy because, you know, you, you kind of almost remove yourself from it and, and, you know, have to take into consideration what's, what's going to be the best outcome for the children. And I think that was something um, my ex and I both focused on. Um, but, yeah, I, could, I don't know. I could kind of see it coming to an end. And I think it got to a point where it was so emotionally damaging for me to stay in the relationship. Um, and I, I knew my ex wanted to get out of it that, that I, you know, I kind of agreed to it. You know, okay. I think it, it wasn't a it wasn't a case where, you know, my ex packed up and left. There was no infidelity. No one had a gambling problem. You know, there, like there, there wasn't anything particularly dramatic or cataclysmic. It was just a a relationship that kind of broke down and and ended. And um, you know, my ex was um, changing careers at the time, and I guess didn't didn't really have the financial means to move on. And so, you know, I guess kind of let it reach its own organic conclusion and so in many ways it kind of became mutual um but at the same time it, it 
all these preconceived notions about who I was and what what my life was going to be like were taken away from me. And Absolutely. Um, I found that really difficult, um, you know, having, uh, you know, kind of feeling like my life was being destroyed in, in a way that I was going to have to completely redefine who I was as a person and, um, you know, feeling like I'd, I'd, I'd lost something that I placed a lot of value in and that, that it wasn't necessarily my choice, um, that it was the, the, the other person in the relationship very clearly wanted to end the relationship had kind of checked out of it and and even though I didn't want to end it, I kind of recognised that I had to because it, it it staying in the relationship was hurting me more than having to get out of it. Daniel, that's extremely relatable, extremely relatable. The idea that somebody else doesn't want to be in this partnership anymore and therefore you really don't have a choice but to allow the separation to happen. Can I ask how long were you together? How long were you married? Um, I looked, well, and to be completely frank, so I'm not disingenuous, I've still got to put through some paperwork to actually finalise the divorce, but we, we were together all up for about nine years. Okay. Um, uh, so I think... And you've got met, two beautiful boys. Yeah, met, married after about two years, um, had two children, and then I think think it was probably within 12 to 18 months of the birth of the second child um the relationship ended wow and it's now okay. it's now been it's now been four or five years since since that point and okay. um yeah we, you know we have a you know a functional collaborative relationship and you know two healthy happy kids and um you know i think I, i'm a bit of a nightmare to deal with emotionally um and there's things I've, I'm going to ask you a bit more about that. <laughs> there's, there's, thing, there's things I do well and have done well. And I think, you know, there's things that, that my ex-partner did well as well that have meant that, um, you know, that we've gotten through this period uh, still able to support each other and get along and without at any point kind of intentionally damaging each other and, and, making it worse or harder or something that would have really frustrated me expensive because yes, um you know indeed. i think i've read somewhere that 85 percent of couples who divorce face a um a poorer financial future than people who don't divorce and that that was something i was really mindful of you know if, there's a, a lot of lawyers in my extended family and the idea that that you know they'd make a bunch of money out of my misery um didn't really appeal to me so you know I didn't we didn't you know we we ultimately haven't needed or involved lawyers and everything's been mutual and agreeable and um you know I think in terms of you know if the, the theme of the podcast is to do, do divorce right a big part of that for me has been you know what Keep not wanting out of it yeah not wanting to not wanting to divert economic resources to parties outside my family that they they benefit from it rather than my children. You know, I'd, ra I'd rather their quality of life be better. I had a guest last week say you have the choice of paying for your own children's private schooling or paying for your lawyer's children's private schooling. <laughs> Essentially, you know, yeah, not, not allowing it to go into the pockets of the lawyers makes a lot of sense. Um, there's, there's so much in what you've just said here and so much I want to pick apart. Let me start with the, you mentioned there were things I've done well. 
and you said there's things she's done well. Tell me a bit more about what, what have you done well? Um, oh, look, cer- certainly I think the financial aspect of it where I've uh, over-delivered on what, I was, what I'm legally obligated to contribute to my partner and, yeah. and her 50% of raising our children. Um, she was a student changing her career when the marriage ended and um you know I, I didn't didn't have the financial means to maintain uh you know a quality of life that you know that i wanted my children to have at the time and so um you know i've kind of voluntarily paid extra um why did you make that decision i don't know and just, how how can women convince their ex-husbands to make a similar decision um, I, I guess you've got to try and frame the conversation as about what what's best for their children. That you know you have a shared interest in these two little people, and that the breakdown of your relationship isn't their choice, and and you know they're they're you know kind of innocent bystanders, and you don't want to make them collateral damage. So I guess kind of framing the conversation around it's not you versus me. It's what are we going to do. Um, you know, to work through this this situation, um, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that it was particularly anything that my ex asked of me. I think, you know, her expectation was probably more around the idea of what she was legally obligated to receive, and that, right. you know, it was something I voluntarily did. And so, you know, maybe it's not. It's not necessarily the role of the female to be convincing the man to do the right thing. It's you know, it's kind of you know, people taking responsibility for their, you know, for their responsibilities and, um, you know, kind of doing the right thing and making sure that their children aren't disadvantaged by by that situation. And, you know, we do have an economic system that's skewed towards higher male income still. And, you know, I think while that's still the situation, you know, it almost creates an obligation to, you know, make sure that, that you know, you, you, know you, you support your children as much as you can and, and make sure there's some element of fairness in it. That's incredible, really, that perspective. Um, this and and what you've said earlier, you, you mentioned you're a nightmare to deal with emotionally, whereas in my notes I've written emotionally very intelligent of you. Um, would you say that you're unusual in this? Like, Do you have many divorced or separated dads in your sphere? No, no, not a heap. No, I guess mm-hmm. I, I guess um, you know my the the majority of my social milieu are still together, kind yeah. of people in their early forties with you know kids kind of you know just hitting teenage years that kind of thing is kind of where, where the the people I'm familiar with. So um, and would you yeah, say that heap, I mean I know a couple is quite emotionally intelligent. The people that you surround yourself with. Uh would you call no, yourself really emotionally intelligent? Yeah, no, I don't. That's... I don't oh, think okay. so. I think I, I think I'm 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 quite open, um, but I'm also aware of the fact that I, I I can operate a bit like a roller coaster with high highs and low lows. So, um, and I'm you know I'm working at the moment to try and um, you know kind of make that a bit more stable and manageable and and you know have kind of a, a longer term better outcome for myself in the in, in, in the way I conduct myself and um, 
So I don't know, maybe it's just being open to it and and being comfortable talking about it and not being, you know, not being afraid of it and finding, you know, that kind of aspect of human beings interesting. And so I'm, you know, I'm quite comfortable talking about it. You mentioned, so I asked you about, I did, but I won't, I won't claim to be intelligent. I won't. I well, won't I, I was, I was naming you that, so I'll, <laughs> I'll give you that badge. Um, so you mentioned also that there were things that she's done well. So your ex-wife, the mother of your children, through, um, through the separation, what are some of the things that she's done well that might have brought out the best in you or the best in this situation that others might be able to learn from? I think. Definitely showing care for my emotional well-being was a, a big deal. Wow. In um, what ways did she do that? Tell me more about that. Oh, I don't know. If I was overreacting to things, she, she'd stay calm. Um, you know, if, I, if I've had hard times, she's, you know, been available to talk to about them, so been a support. She's taken responsibility for kind of you know 50 percent of our shared responsibilities so you know a lot of dealing with the school and communicating with the school and managing you know after school care and and things like that and um you know she she was proactive about getting in touch um uh i hope she doesn't mind me talking about this getting in touch with centrelink that you know from you know from the time when we separated um because her income as she was transitioning career was quite low, you know, she discovered there were these things like a, 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 a payment for being separated but living in the same home, right. which kind of made me think I wish we'd separated two years earlier and still lived in the same home when she was a student and I could have got a, a big discount <laughs> off childcare. Um, you heard and, it here first, So <laughs> Yeah, so her, her effectively becoming a single mother and then having to take on a second dwelling um, that – you know, the, while I was contributing more of the money towards that, she'd go and put in big effort to seeing what kind of government support there was available to her to mitigate some of those costs. And, you know, when, when, you, yeah, when you're both having to work and, um, you know, by no stretch of the imagination, I'm, you know, I'm wealthy, um, when you're both having to work and childcare is super expensive that, you know, being able to access all those things and they're complicated and they're time-consuming and the way the government works to deliver them, I don't know that they're necessarily trying to incentivise people getting easy access to those benefits. And so, you know, it's it's hard work. So, you know, I kind of I, I saw the value in her contribution um, to what we were trying to do to try and, you know, take this situation that I've found very, very difficult and to... Um, you know, make make the whole thing manageable and feasible, and and and. I think even harder than getting the money out of the system is getting somebody to appreciate the effort that it takes. I think so many people that go through separation do need to go down these rabbit holes and find out where the support is, and it's not necessarily true that the other person appreciates those efforts. Going both ways, of course, that the ex-wife needs to appreciate all of those efforts that the ex-husband will go down the rabbit holes to find what support's available and so that's yeah, I think quite we, incredible yeah i think we were lucky to maintain trust throughout it that yeah. um you know that there's you know we still have some shared property together and um you know there's been a couple of times where i i take the lead on dealing with the banks and the budgeting and managing all of that and you know m- 
my ex, and hopefully this doesn't reflect poorly on her, we'll, we'll just say that's your area and I trust you to make that decision and just you let me know what we're going to do. And, um, you know, obviously provide transparency and, and a rationale for everything I'm suggesting and, you know, insist that, you know, that the, the decision be made jointly. But, um, you know, we've managed to maintain, maintain a, a high degree of trust in yeah, that's incredible. each other and all these things. And, you know, I think as other things have happened, like, you know, taking on partners and you know, partners meeting our children and, you so know, that's that happened some of the- already. You've each introduced somebody new into the family unit. Yeah. Yeah. Some have come and gone and, and some okay. are still here, but, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, you know, having that trust that, you know, they're, they're not going to bring someone into your kid's life. That's, you know, highly disagreeable is um, helpful that, that, you know, you have some, some confidence um, in them doing that. And, and yeah, yeah. I, I guess maintaining some level of sense of humor is important as well in mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing as well. And, um, you know, it often seems to be me that's the butt of the jokes that my current partner, every time um, my ex-wife is around, they seem to manage to find a way to have a glass of wine and joke about how they're going to spend my super when I die. So um, <laughs> if something happens to me, Becca, I, I, I'll come I, looking for you. <laughs> well, come looking for both of them because that, it was probably both of them that did me in and then split my super. So there's, uh, there's, there's not that much there to take. So uh, for the moment, I'm pretty safe, I think. Well, I'm happy to hear that you're in a good place now. You certainly sound like you're in a good place now. Let me ask you, going back to that time where you you said that this wasn't a situation that you wanted for yourself, you've used the word devastated, if if not in this conversation, in our last at least. Um, I'd love to know, I think our listeners would love to know, how did you cope in those early months and years when you were feeling devastated and probably all of the other emotions around annoyance etc how did you cope i don't know i i can't i don't know it, it, i probably focused on work because i was okay. mindful of having seen people go through highly challenging emotional situations and having their whole life unravel and i didn't want my whole life to unravel so i kind of i, I put some focus on work and making sure that i was successful there so that i could m- maintain the growing set of obligations i was accumulating um i think i probably was just trying to distract myself a lot of the time i'm i'm i don't know i i kind of um i'm not particularly good at dealing with things when they go wrong um i don't i don't really have a mechanism for doing that i've discovered and so for me it's just been about surviving you know about getting through and you know, I kind of, I think I developed a little mantra that I was telling myself that just because someone doesn't want to be with me, it doesn't mean I need to value me any less. It just means Beautiful. they're looking for something different. It doesn't It doesn't actually reflect anything about me necessarily if someone doesn't want to be with me. It's, did that feel you know, like that, an epiphany? How did you get to that? Because I think that's a beautiful truth. I don't know. I think it might have just been a self-defense mechanism kicking yeah. in at you know at a at a particularly low point and when you know really thinking about it. it and yeah, just having to find a way to like rationalize and reason my way out of the the situation and the way I was feeling. Um, and yeah, that occurred to me. So I you know I just started kind of telling myself that, and um, you know I'm a, a, a kind of a 
I don't know, I've, I've done a lot of things where just through sheer repetition that you kind of imprint a new reality on, on yourself and, and go with it. And um, I actually, um, I don't know that I actually like healed a great deal or came to grips with it that well, you know, I kind of distracted myself with starting to date again, work, um, you know, a, an adventurous social life, that kind of thing. And, and then, I don't know, it's almost like the pandemic became a bit of a blessing for me that um, I ended up stuck at home with all this time living in the house I'd shared with my ex and with nothing else to do, I redecorated the house. Like I did, like it's something as simple as putting up a whole heap of pictures and all of a sudden it changed the environment that I spent all the time in from a place that I used to live in with someone else to being my place and yeah, my you space. changed the canvas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I actually found that like it, it, it had a radical impact on the way I felt changing my physical environment. And I didn't do anything dramatic. I didn't paint any walls. I just, you know, I, I filled pictures. the walls with a bunch of pictures and and you know put some plants in and built a little veggie patch in the front yard. And um, um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, not, not, nothing too extravagant, but yeah, it ma made a big impact psychologically. Getting some control over my physical environment. Um, I think these are beautiful coping techniques. All of them, the the distraction, but with something healthy as opposed to unhealthy. It's not that you... Oh, there was went, plenty of unhealthy in there okay. as well. But. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, what you've shared with me, let's just dwell on that. <laughs> but you'd certainly found some healthy avenues, at least, to keep yourself distracted to get through those months and, and early years. How long would you say it took you, or is it still taking you, to make peace with the end of your marriage? I assume you have, given that you're dating again and that you've got a, a great trusting relationship with your ex. How long oh, would you say that? Took? I'd say it took probably two two years. Okay. I might use. I don't know. Weirdly, I've got like a Mount Everest analogy popping into my head. It took me two Go years on. to get to base camp, but I'm still climbing up the mountain to the summit. Like there's still right. there's still aspects of it where you you lack a lot of autonomy, and yes. um, you're having to negotiate constantly on you know, when you're available and things like that. And, yeah. and it's, you know, it becomes challenging in, in my current relationship, you know, having an obligation that's not just determined by me that controls 50% of my time, which is the, the amount of time I spend um, with my children. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that you know, there's still aspects that frustrate me, you know, like where I live. I've got to live within a certain amount of distance of the school where my, my kids are going to go. I can't choose to go and live interstate or overseas or something like that unless I'm prepared to give up access to my children. And so, you know, there, there's, you know, and it could be another 12 or 20 years before I actually feel like I've got that that kind of autonomy. I don't know. We'll see at what point my children get completely bored of me and um, want to do their <laughs> own thing. So, um, or that your ex-wife also wants an international adventure in the same city that you want the international adventure with the children. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, we've had a conversation about that kind of thing, and again, you know, I'll, I'll reiterate that thing where it goes back to what's best for the kids. In that, we've had a conversation where we said, look, you know, if an opportunity for my job came up to move overseas, that. I, you know, I could take the kids for a year or six months right. or something like that, right. that we'd, we'd change yeah, the way, 
custody operates so that they could have that life experience as well. Yeah, Um, it's beautiful. My kids were born and raised overseas. They're they're just different humans for it. I thoroughly recommend it. Anyhow, I'm not telling you what arrangements to make for your future. I'm saying these opportunities can be really, really lovely when they come along. No, well, I'd love that opportunity and I think it'd be great for my my kids to have that opportunity too. And, you know, I I guess, you know, uh, I'll keep hitting on some of the themes that, you know, maintaining that aspect of trust and, you know. Communication. Yeah, some level of communication and and collaboration and all those kind of things is, you know, kind of potentially means some of those opportunities will happen. But, yeah, like I said, there's still aspects of this process and situation that that I find incredibly frustrating. Um, Tell me a bit more about that because you had also mentioned it hasn't worked out quite how you'd hoped or intended and there are some elements that you find incredibly frustrating. I can read between the lines. I can kind of put some of that together, but I'd love to hear from your point of view. What hasn't worked out how you would have hoped? Um, if the end of the marriage, I don't is know. It's more just yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, just philosophically, not happy that that the marriage ended, but yeah. um, like we both moved on so far beyond it now that there's no longer any emotional attachment to that relationship or the other person. Okay. You know, it's not not like it's not like I want to go back to it or anything like that, but there's there's no acrimony either. There's the the hurt's gone, the pain's gone, the disappointment's gone, and it's just left with a bit of frustration about the logistical aspects of of dealing with the situation and and the um the impact it has on your autonomy of decision making. Right. Yeah, can understand that. That is frustrating, but there's some really good stuff in there. The fact that the the, the grief has been, you've gone through, as you said, up to base camp. So you've gotten through the, the grief part to get to base camp. Um, you know, there's no acrimony. There's no residual feelings or hope for getting back together. That's that's a really, yeah. really great and place we, You know, And we've tried lots of different ways to, like, manage the situation. So, in, in terms of custody, the, so we've um, – when we first split up, we rented a second property and one of the adults would leave and stay at the other property and the children would stay in the house. Yeah. And I don't know, I think we did that maybe for six months and then living out of a bag became um, too hard. And for who? Was the it adults. both of you or, yeah, oh, which one of, of you us, decided yeah, we both, work out? Right. Oh, we always knew it wasn't going to be, like, that's only a temporary thing. You can't you can't keep doing that. You need your own space and can't keep sharing a space. And, um, you know, like our, our children just accept this situation as normal and seem very relaxed about it. And, you know, even though they're only little and maybe this is not a great parenting thing to do, but I've asked them if they'd ever like us to get back together and they're like, no, we, you know, we like this situation. We're happy with do this situation. We're fine together? with it. The youngest won't, yeah. but the oldest one would. And if he does, what he probably remembers is telling us off for arguing, arguing. even when we weren't yeah. arguing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we had, so we had the adults coming and going. We've done, um, oh, like, three days on, four days on, four days off, three days on, okay. we've done having um, three days a week each and having every second Tuesday. Um, 
I implemented one at one point where we'd have one kid each, each Tuesday. Okay. Um, so you get alone time. Okay. Yeah, trying to get some one-on-one time because okay. I, I felt like I, I wasn't really getting to know my youngest child um, because he was so young when we split up and that I was only ever having the experience of having both of them. That one didn't work because they both, any time one of them had to come to me, they were thoroughly unimpressed and both wanted just fought over who got to go to their mum's house. Um, Which would have made you feel quite awful, I imagine. It, oh, I'm sure it wasn't about know. you. I can't, it's about having I, each other, isn't it? Yeah, I kind of understood it. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I've, 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 tried to do my best to make sure I've got video games and BMX bikes and we go to the pub for dinner and I let them get away with absolute murder, possibly more than their <laughs> mum does. But what I happens if Dad's house that stays at Dad's house? <laughs> yeah, well, I, th- I think I also balance that out by being the one that has the most success with getting them to eat new vegetables. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not all just um, letting them have their own way. But um, so yeah, we've done that, and then. Um, it's your current then, arrangement then. Yeah, so we yeah, we've tried to maintain 50-50 custody throughout, which I think has been really important. At the moment we're doing one where you either do two days or five days in a week. Okay. So that you get every second weekend off. Um it is incredibly hard being a solo parent, particularly when you're outnumbered by the number of children. Um any single parents who are permanently single parents have my absolute respect. I think um, I can't think of a tougher gig than being a single parent. And um, managing work and all of the Yeah. All of the things come to you, don't they? Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I think it's incredibly tough. And, um, you know, getting a taste of it each week, you know, by the end of five days in a row of being a, a, a solo parent, you know, it's – you're worn out and short-tempered and, and yeah, it's tough. So, yeah, I've got a lot, lot of empathy for single parents. But, um, but yeah, we've been through loads of different iterations of, um, of custody setups as well as, like, I took on a new job and my partner scaled up to 60%. My Sorry, my ex-partner scaled up to 60% custody to give me oh. an opportunity to bed myself into a new job. Um so yeah, we you know we try to maintain flexibility and help each other out when it's our nights because you know cost of babysitters is uneconomical if you're trying to do it too often and um and yeah I, people have seen an Excel spreadsheet that I maintain that basically maps out the whole year of what you're doing so you can try and plan your life and your weekends off in advance and things like that and people think I'm absolutely mad but it's kind of like how how else do you manage it unless you've got you something can't that fly tells by you the seat of your pants doing this. Yeah, That's, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. When we've never had that instance where we've gotten a call from the school saying, "Hey, your kid's here crying. No one's picked him up." Like we we haven't had that happen in you know four or five years of schooling. Um, okay. That yeah, yeah, that yeah, that we've you know we're it's working for the kids. We we know who's responsible for what when, and um, you know there's an even share of it. And, um, you know, the, you know, I feel anyone that goes through a custody battle, you know, I really feel for them because that, you know, they seem to be really traumatic things to deal with. And, you know, the only, the only kind of arguments we, we've ever had about custody are tongue in cheek. And, you know, when one of us says that we'll sue the other for custody, it's, 
threatening to rock up to the court and say, I'm an unfit parent. The other one has to look after take, the two take of them, take both yeah, permanently because <laughs> it's such hard work. And it's, it's good um, that you can joke about that. There's, there's too few families can. Right? It often comes down to, and I'm not trying to write blanket statements here, but I often hear very little communication. When it doesn't work, it's quite awful. Uh, and it's hand them over, don't talk to them. Hand them back, don't talk. Um, so I'm really pleased to hear. This is a positive divorce story. It really is. Yeah. Well, well, we, you, you know, we, we still managed to find ways to, like, mitigate the contact when it was emotionally difficult that, right. you know, we set up the custody arrangement so that one person had dropped them off at school and the other one had picked them up. So they'd only be, like, once a week on a weekend, um, you know, because we were, we also had a custody arrangement at one point where you either got the Friday night or the Saturday night off of every weekend and that would be the handover point. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've we've tried all the different iterations. No, none of them none of them are perfect and you just embrace whatever one happens to be working the best that you can get to work for you. Ask um I want to ask you what is the best and what is the worst piece of advice that you've been given through your separation and divorce? Um oh, I can't I can't get I can't get out of my head. Um I got given a piece of advice by my father to that he wished he'd invested more in real estate <laughs> and that's completely backfired on me. So um, uh, when we split up and I knew I was going to have to provide extra financial support, I thought um, um, I kind of talked my ex into the idea of taking equity out of a, a townhouse we owned and buying an apartment for her right. to live in, um, you know, be more secure. I'd pay, I'd put extra money into it with the intention that at some point you know, I might make a capital gain on it or, you know, make a profit on it or end up with an investment property or a share of an investment property, something like that. And, um, you know, it, it, it seemed good in theory, but, um, you know, we've just sold the apartment at a loss because, you know, interest yeah. rates were going up and, and, and we were too heavily geared and, you know, we just, you know, we wanted, we wanted to get out of it and, and not keep accruing that loss. But, you know, at the same time, it kind of helped me, I guess, deal with emotionally the idea of I'm going to pay double or triple what I'm obligated to legally, but instead of paying someone else's rent, I'm going to be putting it into my own property. And, um, you know, I think, you know, the pandemic and and some of the other things that I couldn't have anticipated have meant that that hasn't worked out the way it intended. But, right. you know, for quite a while, I was telling people that story saying, you know, how brilliant am I? I'm going to be the only person ever that's made a profit on their child support. But, um, uh yeah, unfortunately, it's not it actually going to work out. out yeah, it's not going to work out that oh, way. I'm sorry so, to um, hear um, that. E but in terms some, of terrible eating advice, some humble pie. yeah, in terms of terrible advice, though, that's that was not predictable. What's going to happen with the property market with inflation rates? And I'm not sure that was entirely awful advice. It was just not yeah. great timing. And well, and I possibly didn't execute it in the way it was intended. I think maybe if I'd gone and bought another townhouse or something that wasn't an apartment, I'd have I'd have been um, better off. Right. Um, I don't know. Advice? I don't. I don't know that I got a lot of advice, either good or bad. I had um, I had some family members have very emotional reactions to what what was going on, and offer to help pay for a lawyer. And I was like, well, no, I'm not. I, I'm not doing that. I don't. There, there is no acrimony. I'm. I don't need that. And um, you know, you don't. You don't need to be upset about this. Um, you know, it's not like I didn't contribute to the end of the relationship. It's not like I'm without fault. You know, 
the, the other person left. They had reasons to leave. Wow. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, like a, a dream to be with. I um, hopefully I don't get get myself in trouble with the neurodiversity woke people. But when I started dating again, I, I met someone who was able to finish my sentences, and I said to myself this person's just like me. This is going to be brilliant. I've always wanted to date me. What could be better than dating me? <laughs> and after two weeks, I was really anxious about the whole situation. And then after three weeks, I was like, I think this person's got Asperger's or something. Do I have Asperger's? And then they dumped me via text message. And I was like, thank God that's over. And I yeah. rang up my ex and I, and I said to her, hey, um, I don't know how you did nine years of this. I just dated me for three weeks and it was a complete nightmare. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to give you some extra child support for your pain and suffering. And <laughs> she um, very predictably said, I'll take it. And, yeah, um, Daniel, I have can actually, I divorce you as well, please? <laughs> yeah, I have actually been giving been giving her an extra $200 a month in pain and suffering after dating me for a couple of weeks <laughs> so she can thank that person that um, I happened to meet. That's awesome. All right, I'm going to wrap up here. I'm going to ask you one final question. If you had some advice to pass on to somebody to do divorce right, what would your advice to them be? Oh, I, I guess try, try to remember that you cared for each other and, um, you know, focus on if you've got children, focus on the children and what's best for them because it, it, it helps separate you from how you're feeling about the other person. And, and regardless of whether you have kids or not, try to remember that you cared about this person and try to show care for each other in the ways that you're best able to do that. And, um, yeah, don't, I mean, don't try and hurt each other. I think it's probably easy for me to say that given that in, in my situation, you know, no one stole, no one cheated, you know, there, there wasn't some massive betrayal and hurt. And, you know, I think those situations are a lot harder and a, more, a lot more complex. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm quite fortunate in, in the situation I encountered. And so, you know, people might be sitting there listening to me saying, you know, well, that's easy for you to say in that situation. No, no. So you but, still have um, your grief to go through. And as you say, you were devastated too. Absolutely agree. It, it complicates things when there's a deep, dark, fresh wound to deal with. But I love that advice. Yeah, show care for each other. Don't, you know, try not to be one of the 85% that end up with much worse economic outcomes as a result of, you know, it's, you know, going through that is hard enough emotionally and, you know, oftentimes logistically and, you know, try, try to do your best to work together to, um, you know, at least make sure that you, you're not, you're not setting yourselves back significantly as a result of it and, you know, give yourselves the opportunity to have a, you know, a good quality of life again as soon as possible because, you know, being able to have a holiday or, you know, go out on a date or things like that, things that are um, things that feel good and help help improve your well-being, and, you know, pay for the gym, you know, get yourself a new bicycle, whatever it is, but, you know, being able to invest resources into um, things that are going to be good for you is, um, you know, much more important than investing them in, you know, undermining the other person's well-being or getting revenge or, you know, kind of um, giving into the, the anger and the hurt that you no doubt feel, whether you're the person that left or was left, because regardless of what side of that equation you're on, you're going to feel like you've been let down. And, um, you know, I certainly know my ex felt let down by the way I was throughout the relationship and then certainly a lot of my behaviour when it did end and, you know, I don't pretend that I'm without fault. But, you know, if you, you, you kind of try to keep that in mind that you're both going to have to take turns at times 
being the one that stays calm and shows care and talks the other person off the precipice and just keeps trying to focus on, you know, getting through this and getting to a good outcome is, you know, hopefully a good way to approach it. Easier said than done. Well, I'm not sure it is easily said for a lot of people. It is really hard to get to that point where you can have that reflective capacity and align that that's what you need to be able to do. So, Daniel, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story. I think having a male perspective has been really, really interesting. I appreciate your time. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, people enjoy the story and get something out of it. And, um, yeah, I appreciate the no opportunity doubt. to come and talk to you. And the interest in uh, in my story, it's, it's you know, it's not – it's not any different to anyone else's and you know i kind of i don't i don't think my experience of the human condition is that different to other people so you know hopefully it's you know reassuring to hear some of what i've said to people yeah thanks for listening i hope you took something of value out of this episode i'm your host becca maxwell and you can find me on the web at dodivorceright.com or on instagram at dodivorceright i look forward to connecting with you there